Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And today we're talking Season 2, Episode 16, Fear and Loathing. I, I don't like that as the title. There's a lot of things I don't like about this episode. It's a good episode, but oh, there's a lot to unpack. There is a lot to unpack, and emotionally, I had a massage today, so I don't know if I'm in the right state of mind to unpack it all. Good thing I'm doing the recap. Yes, Abby's on the recap, thank God. We got on the our Zencaster call, and Abby's like, you're subdued today, and it's like, because I just had the shit zen. massage zen out of my well. body. Yeah, I don't care. I'm... I'm chilling. I'm existing. That's my fact of the day is that I got a massage. I'm so jealous. I need a massage. I, I like, my mom reminded me of this today um, when, so this isn't about me so much, but when I worked as a hostess at a restaurant, I, like, completely forgot about this, but my mom was just kind of referencing you know, the kind of crazy people you encounter when you have a job. And when I was a hostess at this pretty, like, uppity, bougie restaurant, like, everything, it wasn't, like, crazy expensive, but it was, like, an expensive restaurant. Like, you were a working professional if you went there. There was this couple who would come in for breakfast um, on weekdays fairly regularly, and I shit you not, I would go and I would give, it would just be the two of them, I'd seat them and I'd give them their menus, and then one of my other things was I had to remove the extra table settings, like, at the table, because there was only two of them and the booths would sit, like, six people. And they'd be like, oh, no, 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 you can leave those, and I'd be like, okay. And then they would leave, And for some reason, she would always leave out the back door, and he would always leave out the front door. And they were stealing our silverware. What? (laughs) Like, they were straight up stealing our silverware. (laughs) Like, they would ask to keep the table settings, or at least, you know, two out of the four that I was about to take. And then when the, like, servers would come to, like, bust the table, and I would sometimes help out, our silverware, the silverware would be missing. What did you do? We didn't, like, we we didn't do anything, I don't think, because it was so awkward. It was, like, because it was, like, this bougie, well-off couple that would come in and drop money all the time. That was the other thing, is they came in so often. They were giving us so much money. It was, like, is it worth potentially sending them away just because they happened to be grabbing, like, you know industry forks i mean it's like they're it's their little bit of bad you know it's like the spark in their relationship has been reignited by stealing your spoons (laughs) literally it was so funny i completely forgot about it until today and i was like yeah i wonder like what they were doing with it so probably bringing it home and like they probably had like a like a 
a box of trophies. <laughs> oh my god, that is so awkward. Yeah, it was so funny. At a certain point, you have to draw the line and say, okay, like how many forks can one possibly need? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That is quite a wild fact. All right. Our disclaimer is we are in no way, shape, or form professionally associated with uh, the Criminal Minds franchise. Um, but we would like to be, so don't sue us, please. We rate each episode out of 100 points. We rate five different categories. You know them already. 20 points per category. Criminal slash serial killer. Forensic slash context. Script writing. Character development. Character arcs. And background characters. Ooh, I switched it up there for you guys. Through through a little curveball. <laughs> Do you want to take it away? Want me to take it away? You take it away. I I did fully watch this with Diggs, and he decided to take notes as well. So <laughs> we do have some fun commentary in there that I might try to throw in, but I thought it was fun, and I didn't feel like deleting it all. So Wow, Diggs has fully watched uh, An episode, three episodes. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I love it. All right, anyways, so these are mostly my notes, my recap, but maybe Maybe a little influence. Yeah, exactly. So we open on a bedroom, and there is a sleeping girl. Is she actually asleep, though? It's night. And then we hear a noise outside her room. It looks as if she's going to go somewhere, and then she climbs out the window, you know, like a bad kid, and starts walking the street. That's a little judgmental there. Like a rebel. We'll say like a rebel. And uh, even though it's night, she's walking the street, and she takes a seat on a bench. So she's clearly waiting for someone. Who is she waiting for? A guy rolls up in his car, and she's like, Ken, go home. And he's like, Sandra, wait. And she's like, it's none of our business. We're not together anymore. And And another- He's he's exactly like you would imagine a Ken would look like. Like, if you picture a Ken, that's this guy. And then another another car rolls up, and we don't see the inhabitants of the car. But instead of- her going up to the car, he approaches the car and is all, like, gearing up to get ready. And then what happens? He gets shot in the chest. Oh, my God, Ken. Ken, why didn't you just go home? Why go didn't you just mind Ken. your business? Oh, my God. We're, they weren't together anymore. Exactly. It wasn't his place. And what did he get for, you know, not staying in his place? Shot. Okay. So now Ken is dead as hell. And she's like yelling to the guy in the car what are you doing that's my ex-boyfriend and then he tells her to get in but she flees through the through the woods and then mystery man chases her and then she hides in like the dumbest way possible and then gets punched in the head and lights out for sandra cut to the bau and prentice does not want to talk about her personal life But she's clearly upset about something. And she's like, and then she's like, you know, I don't want to share it. Then she goes, I think I blew this date with a guy. And Morgan's like, what? And then she talks about how, you know, she's actually a geek. And people don't expect that. She's, guys, she's not like other girls. 
uh, he was like, what happened? And she like says that she referenced a character from Slaughterhouse Five. And Morgan's like, I also love Vonnegut. So then they like, you know, geek out together for a second. And it's kind of cute, I guess. And then Hotch breaks up their little geek chat. So it ends <laughs> real fast. And basically, we learn that there have been a series of potential hate crimes going on. Three black girls have been killed with swastikas painted on their faces. And uh, so, you know, the props department of Criminal Minds had to draw a bunch of swastikas. So that's super fun. Um, But this is an affluent part of New York City. And although there are some neo-Nazis, the white stallions, this doesn't seem like it's them. Actually, not to be extra, but it's Westchester, which is a very affluent part of New York. But for those of you that don't know Westchester, that's where the huge outbreak of coronavirus started in New York. It's like it's very close to the city. It's like a half hour away, but it's definitely not New York City. It's more like more suburban. Mm -hmm. And it looks suburban in this episode. Hold on. My my dog is barking. Do you hear her? I hear like a tapping sound. Yeah, she's crying. Hold on. I'll be right back. (laughs) What? I'm recording. Oh, it's the cat. What do you need? What do you need? There you go. Okay, I'm back. I need you guys to know that Abby just stepped away because her dog was barking and she walked outside and I hear her talking to her dog. What do you need? Oh, it's the cat. And then she does something and she's like, there you go. And then the crying (laughs) stops and she comes back to record. So basically uh, my family's cat likes to hang out on like the landing of the stairs, which is right outside my room. And my dog Kiki gets very spooked by the cat. So she needed me to escort her through the landing so she could go up to the other floor without being threatened by the cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute, Kiki. Aww. Yeah, it's cute, but it's also very... My dog is very high maintenance. Okay, so... um It's also worth noting that throughout this episode, because this is the episode directly following... Reed's traumatic experience with Tobias Henkel. He has many flashbacks throughout this episode. We can see that he's still very clearly processing what happened to him. But regardless of Reed's mental health... Um, Gideon is now saying that if all of these murders don't get stopped, it could escalate into a full, quote, race war. So there's a lot going on in this episode outside of just, you know, murder. So they take the uh, BAU jet, hey, um, to the suburbs of New York and... um, They find out that there's also traces of a date rape drug in each of the girl's systems, but weirdly there's no actual sexual assault, which you would kind of come, you know, you would kind of expect that with the toxicology showing there was a date rape drug. 
So the mayor, Mayor Hughes, says they haven't had a murder in two years, so it's kind of, quote, way above our heads, which is kind of alarming. Anyways, so this man, Mayor Hughes, glasses man, as Diggs put him, is very worried about race riots. And apparently it is way out of the norm to have murders in this area. The cops seem extremely incompetent, especially for New York, but also NYPD. Can Yeah, like- but this, this guy is fucking hot. What's the name of this detective? No, this isn't the detective. This is, this is Mayor Hughes. Um, but detective... I think it's Detective Weir, I think is his name. He he could literally run me over with his car. Yeah. He, this oh, man. He's hot. Him and Morgan together, it's too much, y'all. Anyways. So cut and we see Gideon at the hate crime and, you know, potential hate crime and scene of the double homicide. We see, you know, the racist shit painted on Tristander's ex-boyfriend's car. Um, and Hotch does not believe that Sandra and Ken had been on a date here because Ken was dressed like really casually, you know, just regular like sneakers and stuff like that. Whereas she was like clearly dressed up like she was in a dress. She put thought into what she was wearing. So the killer was focused on her and not him. It wasn't a date with Ken. It was a date with the unsub, and Ken was just collateral. Then we see Reed sneak into the bathroom, and he checks the stalls, and he locks the door to the bathroom, and he's you know has a moment of clearly emotionally unraveling while staring at himself into the mirror, and he pulls drugs out of his book bag. It's the same drugs that he you know grabbed from Tobias before being saved. Um, But before anything can happen, we can hear, I think it's Hotch calling for him. So he runs into the office with the rest of the team. Um, So they talk about how there's a lot of, like, overkill in these murders, but there's no evidence of sexual assault on any of the victims, which is kind of surprising given how kind of frenzied that these murders are and how intense they are. You would usually see that with a sexually motivated murder. Um, But that's not what it is. So they realize that this, you know, isn't a hate crime. This is a serial killer. Cut and we see, well, we don't see him, you know, because it's criminal minds. Cut and we see the the back of the unstub as he invites another young black girl into his car. It's the same bench and location as the murder of Sandra and Ken. Next, we see a newscast, and the community is calling out the BAU on how they've only now showed up to help after a white boy was collateral in the murder, and how, you know, this is not a hate crime, but the unsub is trying to make it a hate crime, and honestly, this community for calling them out has points. They have super valid. It's, yeah. Um, cut and they go to Sandra's family and they talk about how, you know, the window to her bedroom was painted shut. She just went missing, but the younger sister tattles on her and is like, no, I fixed the window. I wanted, you know, we both wanted to be able to sneak out. And this changes things because they previously thought she had just like, you know, disappeared or maybe was kidnapped or something. But no, she, she left. 
But like the the big emphasis is that like the little sister says, I was the one who wanted to sneak out. Sandra would never go, but Sandra did sneak out that night because she's supposed to be a good girl, even though Abby said she was a bad girl. <laughs> she was a rebel in the first five minutes we saw. She was, but she's like, she, it's not in her character to be sneaking out. And we're going to get to that in a second, but it's like literally the next note I have is all the victims in these cases so far like to sing and they're good students. They're good, like they're model children. They wouldn't do anything rebellious. So they realize that this unsub has a specific type and that is black girls between the ages of 15 to 17 who like to sing. This is so awful, you guys. It just... Oh, it's so awful. It's so upsetting. Uh-oh. We see another dead girl. Naomi. It's the same girl who we saw get into the car just a moment ago, and she has been missing and dead. So now we have the profile. So the profile is a black male between the ages of 20 to 25. We know that he's black because sexually motivated killers almost always kill within their race. The victims he chooses are good girls, good students. They're low risk, which means that the unsub has to be more intelligent and more charismatic. Or at least he puts the girls at ease. And I think what they said is um, the lower risk the victims, the higher the intelligence of the unsub. Exactly, because it's like if it was a kid who would be like, yeah, I'll go like, you know, do drugs with you. Like it wouldn't, you wouldn't need to be as much, present yourself as much of a like. Authority figure. Yeah. Like a mentor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there needs to be more of a relationship. Unsub would likely be a hustler, may not have a lot of education, but he knows enough to trick these girls. Um, because all the girls are singers, he may or may not be in the music industry. He has a car big enough for a body, but not flashy. They say that it's probably a large sedan. His ruse didn't work on everybody. So there's at least one girl out there who, once she hears the profile, will be able to, um, well, will be able to identify the unsub or at least share her story. Provide more information. The key to his psychology is that he must have a souvenir that he takes. Um, He must take souvenirs because he's not sexually assaulting them. So he needs to be deriving some sort of pleasure from the attack. Um, And Sandra Davis interrupted his normal ritual when her boyfriend, Ken, showed up. So something happened and he could not take the souvenir from her, whatever it is, and he may or may not revisit her house to try to reclaim that. So the mayor does not want to release the profile to the town. He says it's, you know, racial profiling, a dangerous blackmail. And then he's like, you know, black serial killers don't exist. And they do. Uh, Diggs has linked a uh, link here that has a list of black serial killers. Um, so and and my deep dive is about a black serial killer. So they're like, you know, we've never heard one. I've heard of a black serial killer, and neither has this town. But this conversation is interrupted when they find Naomi's body, 
And so Morgan is like, okay, so what's your call going to be? And it's worth pointing out that this detective is also a black man. Oh, this is this is Detective Weir. Yeah. And they're like, so are you going to do it? Are you going to release this profile or are you not going to do it? Are you going to allow this profiling to happen? Or are you going to potentially keep people safe by releasing this profile? So he kind of has a really tough call to make here. They talk about how they need to connect to the community in some way. That's going to be their next step. Talk to people. Um, An officer talks about how he got a tip about a black man driving a black, I think it was a black Lincoln um, sedan around the Davis's house. So they decide that some people need to go check on it because this is the second sighting of this car, according to the tip line. Morgan and Detective Weir go to, like, you know, stake out this guy or the house. They're waiting waiting for this car. So they talk about, oh, God, it's this part. Okay, so they talk about how racism and racial bias is, you know, being a huge part of this case is exhausting, but also, like, the struggle of being a black man in America. And it's so, like... Criminal Minds is trying so hard and it's like, I'm glad that they have this conversation, but also all of the writers of this episode are white. It's, it's, it's a little like, you can't really write authentically and truthfully, impactfully about an experience if you haven't lived that experience. The writers of this show are white men. So it's it's so it's so obvious that this scene is written by white people. It's like the scene started and like both Diggs and I, I'm assuming you two, Mac, immediately like looked up who the writers were because you're like, hmm. Um, so but it, at the same time, it's kind of like, um, oh, what was that episode? The one that we recorded with Jen. Episode 10. Episode 10. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but it's kind of like that where it's like I have to give Criminal Minds props for like being, you know, having like bringing these conversations to light and like, you know, sharing this and exploring this topic in a show that came out in like 2000, 2007. It's like, you know, I have to give them props for that. But at the same time, it's misdirected. It's very white savior, too, when you think about it. Yeah, because they basically, like, they start out and and uh, Detective Weir is like, it's hard, like, color is always a part of it. I really wish it wasn't. And then he goes on to say, like, black people in the community make it so difficult for the police to get anything done. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, wait, what? just one gosh darn minute. What are you saying? Like, that's what he says. He basically says, gee, I wish the Reverend would stop making things difficult. I'm sitting there with my head in my hands like, oh, no, white writers, what did you do? Like, this is embarrassing. Like, and then Morgan's like, yeah, man, of course. And you just know in your head, like, Shamar Moore is, like, suffering through this scene. Yeah. So getting back to the recap... Um, that's not a, oh, get back to, we needed to have that conversation because that's a really like, oh, that scene. So basically, um, the car shows up, the the Lincoln, and they go zoom in after it. And Morgan pulls out this really souped up gun. Um, I don't know if this is the a normal gun for an FBI agent to have, but it's definitely fancy for a cop. 
and they circle the property that the unsub has parked at. And then they realize that he's actually just car service. And they're like, ah, well, well, fuck. But they're still there. You know, they've already been like, you know, casing the place. And then a um, white man who I guess lives in the house opens the gate and then straight up just shoots Detective Weir. And he's like, we got him, honey. Yay, racism. And then the detective is freaking dying and morgan has to like de-escalate the situation and be like i am fbi i'm going to reach my hand into my pocket and pull out my id so you can see that i am fbi because this man would not let up so then he you know you know shows his id and is able to rush over to detective weir he is so, it's just, it's so sad, but he was like, he was like, no, man, you're not going like, tell me about your kids. Like, keep talking. Tell me about your kids. Yeah. Tell me about it. And despite, you know, Morgan's efforts and demands of like, you're going to hang in there. Detective Weir dies. And then there's a cut and the BAU shows up and Hotch is like, what the hell happened? And the white dude was like, dude is like, I was scared. I didn't know he was a cop. And he's like, I have a family. And Hodge is like, so did Detective Weir. And it's one of those things where it's like, why did your, why was your first response to shoot someone? Yeah, you could just say, I, you could just be like, I have a gun. Yeah. Like, if that, yeah. if that was someone trying to, like, rob your house or something, like. Or maybe just, like, try to see who it is, too. Like, that's always an option. Basically, JJ calls Hotch and another girl is missing. Her name is Ellie Hadley. And she told her mom that she was sleeping over at a friend's house. She's a very good girl and she likes to sing and she is 15 years old. So they start, you know, going looking for her. And as this is happening, a witness comes forward and she's another young black girl. And she says that a black guy approached her after singing in church and said he worked for a record company. He gave her a business card and she's like, oh, my God, though, like, can you believe it? It didn't even have a company name on it. It must have been so stupid to trust him. And it was just because it was just his name and a phone number. And but she said, but they're like, okay, so do you have this business card? They're like, oh, shit, like, we need to know this. And she's like, oh, I didn't need it. Like, I already know his name. So his name was Terrence Wakeland, and they finally have Garcia come and help with this case. And she even calls him out. She's like, oh, I was waiting for you. He is a freelance musician who played keyboard for the school musical. Gross. And he used to work for a recording studio, but that recording studio went, uh, quote, belly up a few months ago. So now he is just a security guard for the space, I guess, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Well, he was always the security guard. He never was like involved in the, like he worked for a recording studio, but as the security guard. (laughs) Security guards are great. We need them. But like still. And we see this Terrence, uh, Terrence, uh, Wakeland, and he's driving Ellie to the studio. And then we see her singing in the studio, and he is just like gassing her up. He's like, How did that feel? And she's like, Oh, I felt great. He's like, Yeah, you were singing as if you were just like in your living room. Oh my God. 
And then he's like, oh, your throat must be so tired. Here's some water. So she, you know, drinks the water. And we already know what's going to happen because he's, you know, already clearly drugging that water. She's already starting to crash very quickly. And he's like, oh, are you all right? And it's like, no, bro, because you freaking drugged her. Of course she's not. And they like... It's it's another time, what's another instance in which uh, Criminal Minds tries to be really dramatic and it just ends up being kind of goofy, despite the situation being very bad. And it's like, they like, you know, have a fade shaky cam going on, like a POV shot for Ellie. And then you like hear his voice go all like, like... It's like very, it's like they're like slowing his voice down, and it was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, but then he's like, oh, are you all right? And she's like, and then he just slaps her across the face, and he goes, you think I'm ugly? And it's like, where did this come from? (laughs) And so then, but then because she's a badass, she like kicks him in the balls and stumbles out, like literally is stumbling because she's been roofied. She gets outside and she's like calling for help, but she's like stumbling. And then we see the BAU rushing in and Hotch and more Hotch and Morgan specifically, and they're like in the recording studio, and it's like really dark and empty until Hotch stumbles upon like you know the remains of you know signs of a struggle from where they were recording, and then Morgan finds a bunch of CDs with the names of the missing and deceased girls written on them. So we're like, oh. That's his souvenir. Um, So then Ellie stumbles into a cop and he tries to help her, but Terrence comes up behind her and, you know, a la Jeffrey Dahmer is like, oh, that's my cousin. The officer is already suspicious and is like, do you know this man? And she like, but Terrence plays it off, but... And there's another woman that the officer is talking to who's like, am I going to have to stand and watch this or can I go? But thankfully, before Terrence can actually, like, take her away, the FBI swarms. And he's like, oh, you think this is about those girls who were murdered? And so Morgan comes through. And of course, you know, you're going to make the only black man on the BAU have to do all this types of extra but he is able to kind of de-escalate it and be like, you know, everyone drop your guns and they're able to detain him without violence, which which is good and something that needs to be practiced more. So uh, we cut back to the plane, the jet, and Prentice tosses Morgan a book. It's Vonnegut. So Reed is having an attitude again he's kind of angsty and morgan is like are you okay but reed tosses it off and is like salty and then morgan's like no one expects you to rebound and reed continues to be cagey about it saying he's not going to freak out you know he can do his job eventually he's just like it's the crime scene photos the dead girls in the leaves and morgan is like we've seen worse and Reed is like, I know we've seen worse. I It's just, I know what they were thinking and I know what they were feeling right before. 
Okay, not to make it again about Morgan, but like, was anyone going to comfort and talk to Ro- Morgan? Was anyone going to apologize to Morgan after what happened to him in episode? You guys, I'm not over this. I'm not over this. And I don't think any of us should be over this. It's never addressed again. And we get fucking three episodes of Reed struggling. And I love Reed. Y'all know I would fucking... I would take a shit for Reed. I love that man and I love and I love how he gets through his struggle, but come on. This just is crazy. Couldn't they at least have one episode of Morgan like like hey you guys, like this is weird. You all thought I was a serial killer. Hot, you were straight up rude to me. Like <sighs> but I do have to point out not to spoil the moment. Reed like goes and rubs his eyes. His nails are so long. I know. I was like, what? What is this? <laughs> I was suddenly so repulsed. I'm sorry. All right. Are you ready to um, listen to my thing? I went off for like four pages. Excellent. I'm sorry. Okay. Y'all, we got to talk about the Atlanta child murderers. I saw the HBO doc. I'm aware that there's another movie or whatever, but I'm mostly going to talk about the HBO stuff. I'm going to read the Wikipedia, just basically outlining what happened and the arrest. And then I'm going to share some Reddit users comments about the case. Cause they're really reflective of like how everybody feels about this case. Let's start with the Wikipedia article. The Atlanta murders of 1979 through 1981, sometimes called the Atlanta Child Murders, were a series of murders committed in Atlanta, Georgia, between July 1979 and May 1981. Over the two-year period, at least 28 children, adolescents, and adults were killed. Wayne Williams, an Atlanta native who was 23 years old at the time of the last murder, was arrested, tried, and convicted of the two, two of two of the adult murders and sentenced to two consecutive life terms. Police subsequently have attributed a number of the child murders to Williams, although he, he has not been charged in any of those cases. And Williams himself maintains his innocence, although the killing ceased after his arrest. As the media coverage of the killing intensified, the FBI predicted that the killer might dump the next victim into a body of water to conceal any evidence. During a stakeout on May 22, 1981, detectives got their first major break when an officer overheard a big splash beneath the bridge. Another officer saw a white 1970 Chevrolet station wagon turn around and drive back back across the bridge. Two police cars later stopped the suspect's station wagon about a half a mile from the bridge. The driver was 23-year-old Wayne Bertram Williams, a supposed music promoter and freelance photographer. So that's like a tie-in right there. Dog hair and fibers recovered from the rear of the vehicle were later used as evidence in the case against Williams, as similar fibers were found on some of the victims, not all of the victims. During questioning, Williams said he was on his way to audition a woman, Cheryl Johnson, as a singer for the recording studio. 
Williams claimed she lived in a nearby town of Smyrna, but police could never find her or a record of her appointments, so she didn't exist. Two days later, on May 24th, the nude body of of Nathaniel Carter, 27, was found floating downriver a few miles from the bridge where the police had seen the suspicious station wagon. Based on the evidence, including the police officer's hearing of the splash, police believed that Williams had killed Carter and disposed of the body with the police nearby. I also think it's worth pointing out that this is basically what the entire second season of Mindhunter is focused on. Yes, I forgot about that. Uh huh. Yeah, that's how I like found out about this case. Investigators who stopped Williams on the bridge noticed gloves and 24-inch nylon cord sitting in the passenger seat. According to investigators, the cord looked similar to ligature marks found on Carter and other victims, but the cord was never taken into evidence for analysis. Before I read some of these Reddit things, I don't know what was going on in Atlanta during this time, but there were a lot of, a lot of murders, a lot of unsolved murders. It's because it was a predominantly black area. And so the police did not care. And basically, in my opinion, and most of the opinions of people on the internet, they basically pinned these 28 murders on Williams. I definitely think Williams did at least these last two murders. I want to share just some thoughts of like the Reddit community in regards to this case. These are all just like citizens out there on the internet saying what they think happened. So I'm not endorsing any of these views. I just want to show you that it's like a very controversial case. So this one is from Lardass Goober. (laughs) Reddit user Lardass Goober, quote, everything I've seen on the Atlanta child murders has been conjecture, guesswork, and somewhat conspiratorial. This is from Reddit user Mozart of Cool. Seven died from strangulation, 11 from asphyxiation, one from suffocation, two from bludgeoning, two from stabbing, one gunshot, and there were four that were undetermined. I see the strangulations, asphyxiations, and suffocation as likely thrill kills, where the killer, Williams in most cases, varied the MO depending on the victim's ability to fight back. Uh, This is from Reddit user Zezza71. Quote, the dog hair DNA match solidified it for me. In fact, in 2007, at the request of Williams' lawyers, Seven animal hairs from the trial that were found in the victims and at the crime scenes were tested for DNA to see if they matched William's dog. The results were announced by the Fulton County District Attorney, Paul Howard, at a news conference. All seven hairs tested are the same as Sheba's, the dog of Wayne Williams. It's a really controversial case, and you should watch the docuseries, and we will... Hopefully be covering Mind Hunter soon when we do a Patreon. Yeah, oh my god, I forgot we still have to rate. Oh my god, we gotta rate. <laughs> what do you think about the criminal slash serial killer? I feel like we've been seeing a lot of gross old men. Like old white men, gross old white men. So it was kind of fun just to have a very different profile than from what we have been seeing. Yeah. I I, kind of loved the unsub. I thought that, like, it was totally believable that he would be getting these girls with this ruse. I mean, it sounds like they were really pulling from the Atlanta child murders. Yeah. Especially with the music studio thing. 
I think that like, I think we should at least give the unsub lots of points and then like look at how they treated color in the episode later and other categories. I don't know. What do you think about like a 17? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. What do you think about character development slash character arcs? We got to talk about Reed. Oh, I think Reed for sure. And also, again, same with Morgan. Like, we've never heard him really acknowledge his race before. So I think it was really important they did that. Again, not executed in the best possible way. Um, yeah. But. I I agree. I mean, I, I also, like, I made this point when we record were recording yesterday and we were doing episodes 14 and 15, but there's like a, a lead black male detective in, in like the, the four episodes. So it's like 14, 15, 16, 17. There's a lead investigator who's a person of color. I don't know, like 17, 20. I mean, yeah, I would say, yeah, let's do for development. Let's do 18. Okay. I'm good with yeah. that. Forensics and context. Um, I liked when they said that, like, the lower risk the victim, the more intelligent the unsub must be. Yeah, I thought that was, it was a very unique profile, so I thought that was cool. I would say also, like, a 17, maybe. Sure. Script writing. So then here's the question, like, do we give them points because they tried, or we do we take away points because people of color were not consulted? Because I don't want to be like, gold store, you tried, but also taking into consideration, like, when this was done, they, um, it was kind of bold for them in a way. Not bold, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and I definitely think we can give Detective Weir a lot of points in, like, background characters. Um, I don't know, 15? Yeah, I was safe. That was my gut initial reaction. Okay. okay. And what about sexy detective Weir? I don't like that they killed killed him off, but it's definitely impactful, and I think it definitely got their point across. I feel like he was a great background character. All right, give him a twenty because he's yeah. so sexy. Oh my god, just because he's sexy. Yeah, I mean, if you're again, we are like white people, so like, if you're a person of color and you have thoughts on this, let us know because we are trying to like, you know, evaluate this the best way we can, and we would love your input. Eighty-seven. Ooh, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds That's, right. That seems right. It was a good episode. It was. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We're sorry that one was a bit of a downer, but do we have news for you with the next episode? Guess what? It's also a downer. It's such a fucking downer, but 18 is a lot of fun, so look out for that. But if you if you have thoughts, please let us know your thoughts on all of this. Um, you can follow us at Unsubs Podcast everywhere. You get your, your social media and your content, and you can follow me, yournewapartment.tumblr.com. 
follow me um, and listen to my podcast between stage and screen, which is available on all streaming services. And um, uh, guys, go check out our website. You can reach that at unsubspodcast.com. We have merch. We have our episodes up there. And we have some just fun things and everything you'd ever need to know about how to best listen and support us. So, Yeah, and we have all of this in the show notes, too. So you can always yes. like check that out as well. 